Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Religion of Human Nature podcast. I'm your host, Rabbi Jeremy Fine. I've got two wonderful guests today from the Mary Tyler Moore Show and many, many other things, the legendary Ed Asner. Ed, how are you today? <laughs> Was that Yiddish? <laughs> and and we have uh, Jamie Farr from the legendary MASH. Jamie, how are you? I'm fine. I feel like I'm being with my my mishpucha right now. <laughs> you are. You are. I'm, I'm doing. I'm doing uh, bar mitzvahs after this. If anyone needs to re up, okay. Your navel looks clean to me. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. So, Ed, I want to start with you. Um, you've been on some classic shows and movies. What's the biggest thing acting has taught you about telling stories? The more you infused with the character of what you're doing, of who you're playing, the more believable and funny it will be. That's true. Yeah. So the more, you know, some people say like, turn your, turn your energy, right. Or turn your character up, just be an extension of you up, you know, 110%. Jamie, do you feel that's true too? Telling stories is sort of an extension. Uh, when you say telling stories, are you talking about uh, the playwrights or are you talking about the actors that are interpreting with the playwrights here? I'd say both, either or. Well, it's very important. The, uh, again, we were always taught to make sure, and especially when you do a play and a Neil Simon play or any of the playwrights, that you do uh, what they tell you. The, use the words that they have because they're very important. They, they specifically pick those words to give, to help you find your character for you. Yes, it's very, very important to yeah. read within the lines. Ed Weinberger did a fantastic job on the two Jews talking. I, I, I was on the floor laughing. He was just absolutely wonderful. Of what happens when an actor changes a word? What happens when an actor changes his word? What, you mean when they ad lib? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we didn't do that on MASH. I don't know what uh, Ed did on Mary Tyler Moore, but we stuck pretty much every time the script was okay, we had to stay with it. And if you wanted to change a word, you'd have to call the front office to do it. It was done like uh, like the playwrights uh, do in, in the theater. That's, that's the way we did it. Yeah, it seems like, it seems like Larry David uh, is the one who sort of changes that mode, model a little bit where he, he encourages sort of the, the ad-libbing. Uh, for like Curb Your Enthusiasm and Seinfeld and such. Because he didn't have enough original script. Right. To, to, to be a strict constructionist, so to speak. You, you may lose a bit of genius by not allowing divergence, but in the end, you'll, you'll be hitting the, the homer most of the time. Both of you were in... Uh, historic comp sitcoms um is storytelling harder when it's a sitcom or a comedy versus a drama and is there any difference to the actor we should be more explicit <laughs> okay so if, when you're in a comedy or, or a drama is there a different mentality to telling that story is it harder to land jokes or is it harder for people to really sort of buy into your emotions, uh, which you might be telling through maybe a little more uh, body language. When you're, when you're doing a comedy, you, you've adopted the raiment of what you're in. Uh, it's the style. It's 
Comedia Del Mar, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, whatever you're wearing has to apply to the scene you're in. And if you don't have the right clothes on and are mistaken for somebody else, or you're, you're, you're not being uh, uh, attended to, then you're nothing. Now, Jamie, it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, what we're trying to say is, is honesty is really is what you need. Whether it's a comedy or whether it's a drama, it's the honesty of the character and what the writer is trying to convey. Play the scene. That's what's so important. You know, if you play it, you never, you never go for laughs in a comedy. What you do is you go for the sincerity of it because the playwright has already set it up for the, uh, for the laugh. It's the sincerity of the character and the delivery and the relationship that you have between the two characters or the three characters or whatever is going on. It's, it's being able to freeze face, to say your line, to say the, the, the comedic word that will get the laugh and to freeze and let the laugh take off. I love that. I love that. That's a great idea. And, and you said something about the costume, but I assume you mean not just what you're wearing, but also the set that you're in has to be believable. The, the, the actors around you have to be believable. J Jamie, do you ever prepare differently for more of a, you know, a, different types of comedy or, or, or different types of roles or? Uh, well, yeah, it actually, uh, you you do. I mean, some people I, I was taught, you know, I went to the Pasadena Playhouse is that you 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 try to convey what the writer or the writers were were doing. Uh, we never held on Nash's uh, show like they do on a lot of other other shows where you you know, a joke was coming up. We never held for the laugh. We kept on going. You know, if you got it, that was fine. But they you, you had to play the scene. What's the scene all about? And that's what we used to do. I, obviously, the networks would say, OK, you got to hold here for the laugh, you know, and so we can put the laugh track in. Uh, we didn't have a laugh track in the uh, operating room. Uh, we got away with that. Uh, the, the network allowed us not to put a, uh, a laugh track in there. Otherwise, you know, you have to put the laugh track in to make the uh, audience feel comfortable and <laughs> make the uh, writers feel confident. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we had uh, David Davis. Uh, was uh, our uh, assistant producer. I believe I'm quoting him correctly when he said that he had to govern the length of the laugh. He did more editing the laugh than promoting it, Joe. So you had to write gain on the laugh, which nobody ever thinks about. The thing where you get the laugh and you just let it play out to the end. Not so, not so. Right. Well, so you two have a, you're doing a show together called Two Jews Talking, which you briefly alluded to. Tell us a little bit about the show. I'm assuming it's on hold because of COVID, but when it starts up again, what's the show about? Two Jews Talking. Two <laughs> <laughs> Well, this show. Yeah, wait a minute, Ed. I told you, I only five percent Jew. It's it's one Jew and five percent talking. <laughs> <laughs> so what is so is the show? Are you both on stage? Uh, are you sharing stories? Is it? Are you kibitzing? Is or schmoozing? What? What's? Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing like like uh, finding the other country Jew to make fun of. Yeah, as I was 
Hey, Mr. Cocker. <laughs> right. He's a little shit. <laughs> Is there Yiddish in the show? Yes. I don't recall. You know, a long time ago, uh, Rabbi, I did a show called uh, Tuesdays with Maury. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, uh, I had to uh, learn some Yiddish words in that. Maury Schwartz, who was the, the teacher. And I, uh, my cardiologist uh, was Jewish, but he was not, he didn't know anything about Yiddish. He knew about Hebrew. So I'd go to him and ask him, can you help me with this? He goes, no, that's Yiddish. He says, I could do Hebrew, but I can't do Yiddish. But there is Yiddish in, in, and Hebrew, I think, in the, in the uh, play, Two Jews Talking. My concern is at the end of the play, uh, when they do a prayer, in uh, the, a prayer, and I, I'm hoping Ed uh, will teach me because uh, it's uh, it's very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can call me if you need help, Jamie. Okay. Good. Thank Those you. the prayers I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the last of my line, so uh, uh, I, I I know the prayer very well. By the way, I learned a long time ago that Yiddish is 14th century. Plavdeutsch, Plavdeutsch being the uh, scrub ladies type Yiddish. And uh, it worked very well to uh, connect Jews in all of Eastern Europe. The Sephardic Jews don't speak Yiddish. They, uh, they speak Ladino, which is another bastard brogue. And uh, I don't know what... what uh, what Ladino is formed from? Spanish, I'm sure, but uh, what beyond that, I can't tell. Can you, Rabbi? Yeah, I think Ladino has uh, roots in 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 Spanish, and uh, um, I think you know I, I'm not so familiar. It has had a little bit, and Yiddish too, a little bit of a resurrection because language is now kind of hip again. Um, I don't study it, and it's not something they teach in rabbinical school. But uh, people, you know, get they, they get scared of losing certain traditions of their family, so they they resurrect it um, as much as they can and see how long it can have a rebirth. But um, you know, people like niches, so this is the language has been really cool. Uh, especially recently, there was an episode on um, on a Disney show called The Lena of Avalor, which is a, a Disney princess TV show. And uh, a, a Jewish princess named Rebecca, who was voiced by Jamie Lynn Singler, was, um, was there and they talked about some Ladino tradition. So that, that also helped. Any, anytime there's, uh, Disney puts their hand on it, you know, more people want to pick it up and learn about it. Um, and Ed, I know you're on um, a show called The Soap Myth, which we've talked about and you're very passionate about. What, what's that story about? And I know your, your specific role is something you're passionate about. It's about a uh, survivor Jew in the particular town he came from. Uh, those were the, it was the, the focal point. Uh, a myth that was created after World War II, which stated that the uh, Jews made soap, that the Nazis made soap out of Jews. Uh, and uh, people denied it. Uh, it was denied at the uh, Nuremberg trials, etc., and so on. And this survival, the survivor, is has made it his life purpose to convince the world and and the skeptical Jews who are in charge 
that the, in this particular town and this particular uh, crematorium, soap was made from Jews. And uh, it's his battle to achieve that truth. Yeah, I, I spoke with the playwright and he, uh, Jeff, and he's, uh, the story sounds just incredible. The whole the whole play, um, and I know that uh, the hope is to to travel with it again um, as a passion project to around the country. Um, but let's um, love to hear a story or two from either of you about maybe a favorite story you have from a set, maybe of Mash that that people don't know. And a uh, um, Ed, you, you've been in so many things also. Um, you know, anyone want, you want to share a story that that you know just might might cheer people up during this this time of isolation you, you mean a, a story about jews it could be about jews it could be about non-jews it could be about gefilte fish for all i care uh, i always like gefilte fish I, I think it should be promoted um you know i usually have two two Great jokes, and I don't remember them now. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I've been trying very hard on them because they are priceless jokes. And they, uh, uh, it would uh, make this uh, uh, interview a screaming success if I can remember them. <laughs> I'll have to pass. Okay, no problem. JB, you want to tell us the story from the South yeah. I, I, this is one of my favorite stories. It's a it's a true one. Uh, of course, you know I wore all those kind of dresses uh, on the uh, on the show, and sometimes I uh, went through the uh, 20th Century Fox wardrobe and took out some Alice Faye outfits or a Betty Grable. Well, we found one that was a Ginger Rogers outfit, and uh, we were going to do a takeoff on Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. I was obviously going to be Ginger Rogers. And Nurse Kelly was going to be Fred Astaire. And we did a number called Cheek to Cheek. It was a gold lame outfit. As a matter of fact, that outfit is now in the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. So it got big laughs. Everybody, the next day after the show had aired, I was in the commissary at Fox having lunch. And who's there but Ginger Rogers doing an episode of Love Boat. She sees me, she comes over to me and she says, you know, Jamie, I saw that show where you did a takeoff on me and Fred Astaire and you wore that gold lame dress that I wore in the show. And I got to tell you right now, that dress looked a heck of a lot better on you than it did on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, you know, I think, I think today in today's world, especially with COVID, stories are so, so important, right? to be sharing with people, how many people have come in reunion. Look, you two are having a reunion. We're even meeting people, right? Like uh, we have not met before this and, and it will connect us for the rest of our lives. Um, and I appreciate both of you being here and sharing some of your journey with me. And I wish you both uh, unlimited success with this show. Are you telling us goodbye? You want us, we can talk forever. How much time you got? Can you imagine that? Like, <laughs> I've never been so insulted in my life. I thought it was a machayer. <laughs> Ed, you want to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time, Elf? Oh, yes. Yes. That is a beauty, isn't it? It really is. All because of Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell is a genius. He, he I made, think 
They made that movie what it is. I think he's the greatest SNL actor of all time. And I know that's controversial, but I, I, his stuff on SNL to this day, it's not old. It is funny. It's clean. Uh, even his tryout where he impersonates a cat, you keep your gut laughed. He's just, his he, he used he, in his tryout for SNL, which is very famous. He did Harry Carey, which he, he was very well known for, but he also impersonated a cat, which was hilarious. Um, and he plays with the ball with, you know, yarn. If you ever get a chance to see it, it is dynamite. Um, and you also had Peter Dinklage in, the, in that uh, cast. It was a great cast. That's the funniest bit in the world, that fight between those two. <laughs> Dinklage deserves a great honor, too. Yeah. And he was Game of Thrones. I mean, he's such a an incredible actor on so many different uh, uh, levels, Peter Dinklage. And uh, what was it like working with Will Ferrell? Was he uh, funny every day? Is he, is he that? People, I've heard he's... Funny all the time. He doesn't have an off button. I wasn't in stitches. No, I don't mean I do. But, but, but then when I see the final product, I realize how funny it all amounted to. Yeah, he's special. Jamie, who's someone that you've worked with that you felt uh, was a great storyteller or comedian or, uh, you know, just a, a tremendous actor or actress? Harry Morgan. Uh, Harry Morgan could do anything. He was absolutely brilliant. He was in uh, Oxbow Incident, a uh, great movie that was made many, many years ago in the 40s. It was in uh, Inherit the Wind. He was in, he was in silly movies like uh, Support Your Sheriff. The man could do anything. And uh, he could do uh, broad comedy. He could do uh, high comedy. He could do serious things. He was just a wonderful, wonderful actor. And it was very difficult doing scenes with him because he used to have a twinkle in his eye. <laughs> it's like uh, Carl Reiner used to say, you know, if you got a tickle in you when you're doing a scene, you can make the other person laugh. And Harry always had that tickle. I, I, could, uh, I couldn't look him straight in the face uh, in some of the scenes, especially if you got all seven uh, of us together. We'd break up. I'm sure that happened with Ed also on the Mary Tyler Moore show because that was a classic cast as well. Well, until I met Will Ferrell, I thought Ted Knight was the funniest person I had ever come across. But uh, Will displaced Ted. I got to tell you, though, on Two Jews Talking, if people come to see it, then they better come because they're missing a, a night of the century. Jamie has all the funny lines. Why is that? I guess my daughter must have been a sucker for Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> you, is he talking about Marty and Phil and the, and the two Jews talking? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I assure you, believe me, you, you can't get past Ed Asner. I, I, he'll hold his own, believe me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm honored to, uh, to be uh, playing with him in, in anything. He's just a marvelous actor and a good friend. Like I was given a blank page, I'll tell you. It's, it's really hard, but because... The cause is noble. It's our self-perpetuation. Uh, I'm willing to do it. That's beautiful. Are you guys... Is the you have to wait about 18 minutes for a reaction from your listener. <laughs> is there is there a um, 
Is there a timeline when you think the show will be back? I'm assuming you're closed because of COVID, correct? We're trying to grease the walls as we speak. All right. Well, let, hopefully you all will both get healthy and, and shots and make sure. I got my shots. Yeah, did you get yours? Yeah, I got my second one the other day. And just before I went to sleep, I haven't slept well since then. But uh, I felt a little, a little wiggly. But thank God I avoided all the uh, second shot repercussions. Good, good. Well, good luck to both of you on that. I know that the world is waiting for entertainment to come back, whether it be sports, theater, even movies. Um, you know, people are just excited to be out and doing things and laugh again um, will be uh, an incredible, incredible gift to give back to the world. And you two will be a big part of it. Was I, was I clear on my description of soap myth? I, I don't know if I was. Clear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, I'm excited. And I know that we're going to try to see that show, bring it to Chicago if we can. I know, I know, uh, that is a big hope for us. So, is that where you're from, Rabbi Chicago? I'm originally from Chicago. I'm currently in Minnesota. So Mary Tyler Moore is uh, near and dear to people here. And uh, I'll be moving back to Chicago uh, this hey. My My wife's from Danville, Illinois. And yep. she lived right around the uh, block from Dick Van Dyke and Jerry Van Dyke. And uh, Gene Hackman and uh, Bobby Short. The wonderful singer in that, and uh, Donald O'Connor was from uh, Danville, Illinois. I've been there a few times. And when I was with Red Skelton, I was in Chicago a lot. We played the Chez Paris there. That was the famous nightclub uh, that. Uh, you do at the Chez Paris. What's that? <laughs> what did you do there? When did I do that? Did you play there? I, I was with Red. Yeah, that was years and years ago. What did you do? I did uh, all of the introductions and, and, and helped them with any of the straight lines in that. You know, that was owned by uh, Don Joe and Dingy Melvine. They owned the Chez Paris. Yeah. And a lot of the comedians would come to them to ask them, hey, what's a good act? What's a good act? We want to do a good act. And Don Joe Melvine would say, look out the window, kid. He says, yeah? He says, what do you see? He says, a parking lot. He says, what's in the parking lot? He says, a lot of cars. He says, that's a good act. <laughs> is open? what's that is it still open no i don't think the shaper is around is it uh rabbi i don't believe so yeah well, that was a time when the nightclubs were around you know uh, red played this uh shaper chicago the moulin rouge in california the sands hotel in las vegas uh i'm trying to remember some of the other places uh uh, Lake Tahoe, Harris Lake Tahoe, and Harris at uh, in Reno as well. Uh, what was the Club Fifty Four in New York? Was that uh, was that? That would be nineteen fifty nine when I was with Red. I was with Red doing his live show before I, I was drafted into the army, which was around fifty four fifty five when I did his live show. Then I got drafted, and then he uh, he went to uh, Korea and Japan, where I was uh, stationed and uh, requested me from the State Department. And I flew, I was just a private, I flew on a United Nations airplane uh, and we entertained all of the troops in little little, uh, little camps, not like Bob Hope did a big show. And uh, we wound up on the, at the DMZ, the, the uh, demarcation zone. And uh, when Red went 
Good went home. He said, Jamie, you know, things are going to be tough for you when you come back uh, to get your career started again. So you come and see me. And sure enough, I got out and I, my dad passed away. I, I was going to quit the business. And I went to say goodbye to him and he wouldn't have it. He put me under contract, gave me money to send home to my mom and that I owe a lot to uh, Red Skelton. Oh, boy, that's nice. What year did you get drafted? 1957. 1957? Yep. Yeah, I got drafted in uh, 53. You, I, you got drafted for uh, Vietnam? No, no. I was, uh, I, I, I was during the, uh, the armistice time. I, I got drafted and I, I wound up in Japan with Armed Forces Radio and temporary duty several times in, uh, in Korea, in Seoul and, and so forth. I actually helped open up Armed Forces uh, Television in Korea for our troops. Yeah, I was in from uh, 53 to 55. In, in, did you go to Korea, Ed? I went to France. <laughs> you got a little lucky there. Food better. Kenya, far. Kenya. All right. Well, th thank you both. This was a, a pleasure. And Ed, Ed, I only have a certain amount of uh, space to record these, so I do have to eventually end this, right? All right. You're lucky. You're just a lucky man, a rabbi, who gets to go back to Chicago. I agree. <laughs> you are, thank, thank God. I, I <laughs> Eli Steakhouse. I don't know if that's still there, Rabbi, is it? Eli Steakhouse? I, I, I've been a vegetarian since I was six years old. So really? Steakhouses don't really uh, do much. They got Gibson's is still there. I know that. Um, we, we don't want to hear you talk about that. <laughs> No Marshall Fields. <laughs> no Marshall Fields. Yeah, I love Marshall Fields. Yeah, I loved it. Absolutely. And and hopefully I'll get to meet you both in person someday. It'd be my honor and pleasure. Thank you. What a fun episode. I was in stitches the entire episode. Jamie and Ed were full of laughs. And this is really what it's all about, sharing stories with each other from your friends, from years past, the new people you meet along the way. How can you share stories to bring smile to each other, to bring perspective, and to just be happy? Jamie and Ed were two men who I have met on this journey who shared insights not only to their careers, but who they were and are as people. I want to thank Jamie Farr and Ed Asner for spending so much time with me. Uh, I want to thank Todd Kessler for his music as usual. This was a really fun episode of the Religion of Human Nature podcast, and I'm your host, Rabbi Jeremy Fine. <laughs>